All right, everyone, we're going to get started with our time of teaching. Yeah, if you can grab a seat, we'll go ahead and get started. I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll dive in. Um, Father, thank you simply for Jesus. Um, as we move into Advent, as we move towards Christmas, um, at the end of the day, the, the thing to, to most be grateful for, the, the biggest gift with the, with the most implications for our lives is, is Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that um, today would be a time to reflect on what there is to be grateful for in Jesus. That you would teach us to um, lean into you, to, to, to lean our thought life into you, to receive your peace as we consider your person, Jesus. And it's your name we pray. Amen. All right, so we are in an Advent series, um, and the definition of Advent, uh, if you weren't here last week, it's the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event, like the advent of the automobile, or the advent of the internet, or more importantly, the advent of Jesus, which is what we're celebrating. And Advent's a time of year when the Christian church all around the world, for about, you know, 1,800 years or so, has celebrated the arrival of Jesus, the first arrival of Jesus, when God entered human history in a time and place, and then we look forward to his second advent when he'll arrive again to finish the work he began the first time he came. And at Advent, we celebrate when Jesus arrived, but it's also about how when he arrived, it fulfilled so much of what humanity needed. Uh, he, he fulfilled prophecies, and he, and he met needs, ultimately um, again, beginning with the incarnation, but, but, but moving through his death and ultimately his resurrection, which we celebrate at Easter. And so this series is looking at what happened or what was offered because of Advent, because of Christ's first coming. Uh, last week, Eric Davis, one of the pastors from Restored South Bay, preached on the disruption of Advent. And so this week, I want to, um, I, I think I'm doing like a little bad cop, good cop, because I want to do the peace of Advent. <laughs> Eric talked about the disruption of Advent. I want to talk about the peace of Advent. And so if you have Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2. Otherwise, we have it up here on the screen. And this is part of the worship service that broke out when the baby Jesus was found. It says, glory to God in the highest heavens and peace on earth to people he favors. Now, what's interesting is when Jesus would talk to people, when he'd greet them in coming or in going, he would often say, peace be with you. Um, we see that when he comes, uh, he's called the Prince of Pre Peace in Isaiah. We see here in Luke 2 that um, in God coming, that there's peace on earth to all people he favors. And so um, it, Jesus would say, peace be with you all the time. He would say it um, in, in seemingly positive moments. He would say it after seemingly traumatic moments. And when you think about the Apostle Paul, he often would say it as well in his writings. He would say grace and what? Peace, right? He'd say grace and peace be with you which is really interesting to think about because he was a huge grace guy and he had a lot of other options to finish that greeting. And he could have said um, grace and riches, right? Some of us would have taken that, right? Grace and riches or grace and popularity, right? Or grace and favor with certain people or grace and strength. But he did and he said, grace and peace be with you. And I think deep down that what so many of us really want in life and may or may not even know it is a sense of peace. Like if you just think about what you think about, if you, metacognition, if you think about what you think about, and if you think about your circumstances, and you think about your relational dynamics, and you think about different things that you are facing, and you think about the reality of what's happening in the world, all over the world. I know right now we act like, again, there's serious conflicts happening and wars and stuff, um, but there always has been. 
and you think about peace that the world needs, it seems like we are looking for a peace, whether we know it or not. And in Advent, we celebrate that there is a peace that's been given to us from heaven, a divine peace that only God can give. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but, but, but again, everything can kind of get worked out in your life. I don't know if you've ever had moments, and, and maybe they're fleeting, but you're like, pretty much everything's where I want it. Like, I got the degree, I got the job, I got the person, got the thing, got the whatever it is, the goal that I had, and it just doesn't fulfill. Because, like, I don't know if you know this or not, you can have a ton of money in the bank, but no peace in your heart. You can, have, you can be successful on the outside, right, but incredibly empty on the inside. You can have a dream job on the outside, and your internal world can feel like a nightmare, you can have the relationships you want, whether with solid friends or a, uh, a romantic kind of a love interest or, or a spouse, but not have peace in your life, okay? By the way, if you're married, don't amen that too hard. Don't get too excited, um, right? It's possible to have that and not to feel peace. And again, I'd argue that what a lot of people want, again, whether they know it or not, is a peace that can only truly from, can come from God. And so what I want to do today is look at a prophecy from the book of Isaiah, which we've done the last few years, and I want to zoom in on Isaiah uh, chapter 26, verses 1 through 4. We're going to think about this idea of peace and, and specifically how to experience that peace. Isaiah 26, verses 1 through 4, it says, On that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Salvation is established as walls and ramparts. Open the gate so a righteous nation can come in, one that remains faithful you will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace, for it is entrusting in you. Trust in the Lord forever, because he is the Lord. The Lord himself is an everlasting rock. And so in verse 1, he says, man, the land of Judah will sing this song. Kind of God's people will celebrate, because they're strong, and they're protected by God himself. But then in verse 3, he says, that he'll keep us, he says, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Just think about that. Again, the CSB, it says, um, those whose minds are dependent upon you. And that's actually a pretty good translation because the idea of fixing your thoughts in the Hebrew is that of like resting your weight on. Like I'm going to take my mind and rest it onto God himself. And he says, if you trust in the Lord, who is this everlasting rock, you'll experience a perfect peace. And again, I love this promise. I want this promise. I need this promise. Like, I don't know about you. Like, I could use more peace in my life. Certainly, I could use some perfect peace. And I don't know about you, but I'm way more familiar with, like, inconsistent peace or peace that's not perfect. Again, I can have peace in a moment where I, I have like a great moment of prayer. I feel like I've like surrendered an outcome to God or a situation or a person. And then like five minutes later, I can feel pretty anxious again about that same thing. Like, God, you haven't moved in the way that, that you told me you would. He's like, I didn't tell you I was going to do that. <laughs> you made a demand, right? This is a, um, yeah, that, that wasn't a, a promise for me. So what is perfect peace? And, and the word peace in the Old Testament, it comes from a really rich Hebrew word, the word shalom. Uh, it's a word that often is a greeting, um, but, but it doesn't just mean peace. It's connected to an idea of completeness or wholeness. Almost like, again, often when we think of peace, we think of the absence of conflict. But this would be um, 
this would be like it's as it should be if that makes sense it's not just it's not just the absence of conflict it's like completion fulfillment it's peace in every way the complete and perfect peace and it starts with a peace with God. In other words, um, there isn't this internal sense of fear or dread about how God feels about you. This isn't someone who's living in a constant state of guilt or shame when it comes to the relationship with God. And it's a peace with God, but it's also a peace with other people. It's a freedom to, to, to not use people to get liked, but to, to truly love people for who they are. It's, it's a freedom from needing to control people or, or again, get them to, to view you a certain way. It's a freedom from bitterness. It's also peace with yourself. A sense of I am who I am and who I am uh, is, is good. God made me good. That doesn't mean, there are, that doesn't mean there aren't areas of my life that need to be transformed or strengthened or grown. But I, I, I can enjoy the person God made me to be with my unique uh, characteristics, personality, strengths, weaknesses, family, culture, all that stuff. It's peace with your circumstances. Like, even when your circumstances aren't what you would want them to be, which almost, oh, they almost never are, right? Like, fully. It, it, it's going, hey, even when there's circumstances outside of my control that are not what I want them to be, I can be okay. Like, I can live at peace. And this idea of perfect peace, it's really shalom, shalom. And again, when something's repeated in Hebrew, it's an emphasis for something. It's kind of like when Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you in the Gospels. God is saying, have a lot of peace, have perfect peace. Now, I want to be clear. Peace does not mean that you don't have trouble in the world. Jesus was really, really clear. In John 16, 33, he said, in this world, you will have trouble. So it doesn't mean you won't have problems. It doesn't mean that, that nothing's ever going to break. It doesn't mean that, you're ever, you're, it doesn't mean that your financial situation is always going to be perfect. It doesn't mean your kids are never going to get in a fight on the way to church, Right? It doesn't mean um, your, your relational world's always going to be what you want it to be, like free of conflict or frustration or tension or confusion. It doesn't mean people aren't going to get sick and die. But here's the big idea. We need to understand that peace isn't found in the absence of problems, but peace is, but peace is found in the presence of the Savior. Like it's found in knowing and experiencing Jesus. So the key idea is this. Um, he says that, and Isaiah it says, he who sets their mind or rests their weight on God will experience perfect peace. And the idea is this, is that what we set our mind on impacts how much peace we experience. What we set our mind on impacts how much peace we experience. Our peace is connected to what we focus on and think about. Again, notice what Isaiah doesn't say. He, he says, you have a perfect peace if your thoughts are fixed on him. He doesn't say, you'll have a perfect peace when your mind is fixed on the news or political commentary. You'll have a perfect peace when your mind is fixed on social media or your financial, uh, financial markets. He doesn't say you'll have a perfect peace when your mind is, 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 is fixed on anything other than the truth of who God is, what he's done and what he's doing. That's perfect peace. Perfect peace is when your thoughts are resting on God's unfailing promises. And my question this morning really is, what is your mind fixed on? as we enter the Christmas season. What's, what's taking up the most kind of real estate in your, in, in your brain, in your minds? Whenever you have idle time, where does your mind drift to? What do you focus on? 
Um, by the way, I, I'm, I'm not going to be able to hit everything I would want to hit today. Um, there's a phenomenal book on changing the way you think. Uh, it's called A Still Quiet Mind, if you want to read up. A uh, Still Quiet Mind uh, by a counselor named Esther Smith. Uh, E-S-T-H-E-R, Smith. Um, but one of the things that she says is our life is always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. Our life is always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. And so I don't know what thoughts you have swirling around in your mind this Christmas, but they impact your life in significant ways. When we think things, when we think thoughts like you can't trust anyone, like no one will ever love the real you, like you'll never succeed, you're always going to be broke, you're never going to have a good marriage, God doesn't care about you, God doesn't hear your prayers, you're never going to make a difference, you're never going to amount to anything. You'll always be a victim. You'll never actually become like Jesus. That stuff can't rattle around in your mind nonstop and not impact you. Does that make sense? Our peace comes from what we set our minds on often more than our circumstances. Jesus says in John 14, 27, he says, peace I leave with you. And then he says something I don't want you to miss. He says, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives because I give you my peace do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus says, my peace I give to you. He's not giving you a peace. He's giving you his peace. And again, peace isn't found in the absence of problems. It's found in the presence of Jesus. Like, I genuinely think there's two ways to step into the season. And what we're dwelling on impacts the experience we'll have in the season. Um, it, 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 another way to think about it is, is kind of like what's on repeat in your mind. I don't know if you've ever had this happen before. Um, uh, about a year ago, I switched from Spotify to Apple Music for a couple different reasons. Um, I feel like no one was doing that move. Like I kind of went the other way. Um, and no podcast. I know, no podcast. Uh, it's actually good for me. Um, and uh, as I did that, I found that when you like search for a song and you play that song, it doesn't turn into a playlist like on Spotify. It just plays the song over and over again. Um, and there'd be times I just started to notice, like brushing my teeth, I'm like I'm three, I'm three, so like the same song three times, right? And um, and so when it's playing in the background, by the way, music can stress you out. It can scare you. Uh, it can make you feel good. I remember one time I was having a meeting with a guy, and again, some of you, I'm, I've sat with some of you in the most intense moments of your life. Some of you. Like you've shared something really, really hard. Um, someone was, was passing away. Um, tough time in your marriage, whatever it is. Like I've sat pastorally with people in really tough spaces. And sometimes like in empathy, I'll be there. Uh, I'll tear up. I'll cry a little bit. But I remember, um, I don't know, maybe six months ago, I was sitting with someone and they told me that they got a, um, they got a promotion at work. And um, I started to tear up. Like I started to tear up. And what's interesting about it is um, I'm not saying that their promotion at work wasn't significant. I'm saying I didn't even know they were trying to get a promotion at work. I was not alongside them with like solidarity, like working, helping them through this long-term thing. Like they hated their job and there's a space for that. That's not what had happened. This is the first time I'm finding out they're even looking for a promotion. And I'm incredibly moved emotionally by the fact that they got said promotion. And I felt like it didn't really matter. I think they felt like, man, this guy really loves me. Then I realized Adele was playing overhead at the coffee shop. 
And it was just like that note took me there. It wasn't gratitude to God for this promotion. It was like, oh, this is on in the background. And man, our thoughts are the same way. Like we can experience the same event or space or place. And depending on how we interpret it and the thoughts we have about it, we can be okay or really not okay. Um, there's a powerful story in the New Testament, uh, one we've preached through before, and it's when the disciples were out on the boat and a big storm kicks off on the Sea of Galilee. Um, and it's a massive storm, so much so that these men, who many of whom were lifelong fishermen, had seen a thing or two. Like, you know, we know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. That was them with fishing. And uh, they're there, and they're freaking out. Like, they're like, we are going to die. And honestly, that's probably how most of us would have reacted. Um, the weird thing about the story is Jesus is taking a nap. He has to be woken up by the disciples. Um, and, and one author points out that there's really two storms that day on the Sea of Galilee. There's the one that's visible to the eye. It's, it's the elements. It's the rain. It's the lightning. It's, it's the waves, the wind. And then there's a second storm. And that's the storm that's happening not on the outside but on the inside. And I don't know how it is for you, but for many of us, the thing that makes our life really hard isn't the circumstances themselves. It's often the thoughts we have about the circumstances, the beliefs we have about who God is, about who we are, about what life is all about, about where we get our value from, our security from. This is why, for example, two people can go through very similar experiences of suffering, very similar experiences, like terrible circumstances. And one person seems to become more resilient and trust Jesus more and become more loving to others, more empathetic towards others. And another one can, can you know, become bitter, become mar, go, man, I don't trust God. I don't care about people. I don't care about anyone else's problems because no one's been through what I've been through. And you become this bitter, kind of self-righteous person. And the other person becomes this empathetic, I know what it's like person. It's not the circumstances themselves always, they matter. But I'm saying when you see two people go through very similar circumstances, and they come out in very different places, often it's what we are dwelling on or thinking about. Now to step into that peace, we need to be present to what our thoughts are. Uh, a mentor of mine, some of you know, uh, he uh, created the CBR Journal, which we used for a long time. A guy named Ted Sin, uh, pastor with the last name Sin, tremendous, uh, Theodore Sin. Uh, he always points out it's two ends. Take it easy. But he's this uh, Presbyterian minister, and, 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 um, and he was fairly obsessed with helping Christians replace lies they were believing with the truth of Scripture. And I remember one time we're hanging out, and he told me something that changed my life. He said, followers of Jesus should be the most present people in the world, not yoga instructors. And he said, because their past and their future are already sorted, like if they're gospel people. Uh, there's a new trend. I don't know if you guys have seen this the last couple of years where people are like, I have no regrets. You're like, no regrets? <laughs> the people in your life have regrets for you <laughs> about your decisions. Right? Because uh, you, you've hurt people, right? If you don't regret hurting people, you're a sociopath. You're not a free person. <laughs> Just so liberated, man. No regrets. It's like, no, dog, you should, you should have some regrets. 
But Ted was saying, he's not describing that. He's saying gospel people, they know Jesus has dealt with the sin and, and the regret of their past. They have regrets. They have sin, but they know they have been dealt with. They know that they're completely forgiven for those things. And they know that they're not defined by those things. And they can move forward into the future. Does that make sense? So they're able to like look at their past and go, ah, man, I wish that was different. But I'm free from what's back there. And where work needs to be done, you see counsel, or whatever. Like, I'm able to do that, actually, because there's nothing I'm going to find that defines me or is bigger than me in the power of Jesus. And he says gospel people also can be present because they're not anxious about the future all the time. Like, they can live in the freedom of knowing, I don't know what's going to come, right? Like, I don't know who's, wh- what's going to come tomorrow, but I know who's going to bring tomorrow. And I truly believe that he will work it out, which allows me to be present to myself and to Jesus in a peace that starts to stream in. When our minds are fixed on that, we can access and experience the peace Jesus came to give us at Christmas. But not all of us have experienced the peace of Jesus. Either we have never received it in the first place, or we have received it and we've forgotten all about it. We've forgotten what it means. And I think what I want to call us to this morning is to something that we used to talk about a lot as a church that we haven't talked about as much lately, but we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. We need to preach the gospel of peace to our own hearts this Christmas, remembering that the gospel is true, the good news are true. Uh, Noel means news. Uh, We need this news, this good news of the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of peace, because all true peace originates from somewhere, and it brings peace everywhere it goes. And whether that's peace in the Middle East or peace in your home or peace in your own heart, we have to start with the peace that comes from God. And so perfect peace involves two things primarily. It involves peace with God, and it involves the peace of not needing to be God. It involves peace with God, and it involves the peace of not needing to be God. The first one, peace with God. Again, throughout the entire uh, narrative of Scripture, from the very beginning, we see that God desired to be in a relationship with his people. We were designed to receive a love from God and to give that love to each other. Now, if we're in a healthy space as a human, you know, a, a, a creature, we're receiving God's love in deep ways, and then we're pouring the overflow of that love into the lives of those around us. We receive love, we give love. We love because he first loved us, First John so how would that impact our relationship with other humans? We'd probably have a lot of peace in our relationships if we truly believed we were at peace with God. The reality is, is, is vertical peace almost always leads to horizontal peace. Where there is not vertical peace, there's a ton of horizontal chaos. And again, we see this uh, humanity in our sin and rebellion. It, we turn away from God to get more freedom, more approval, more power, but instead we find the opposite. By shutting God out, we feel vulnerable, exposed, ashamed, under judgment, in darkness, always seeking more and never truly finding it, which does not bring peace into our heart, our relationships, or our worlds. We start demanding things. And when we don't get it, we lash out. Like that's the the, the pattern of, relationships from nations to people but forgiveness and reconciliation we've been when we've experienced them from god himself we're able to give those gifts to others and that's what the title the prince of peace points us to that we celebrate at christmas we celebrate this child 
who would come and live a good and beautiful life. And he was, he was not born the way you would expect the son of a deity to be born. He was born in a small rural town, not an influential city. His mother was an unimpressive, poor teen mom with quite a story. He lived his life befriending prostitutes and terrorists, men and women, Jew and Gentile. He not only befriended them, but he offered them peace with God. Ultimately, he would die a death on the cross, paying the penalty for our cosmic treason and prepare the way for a pardon from the king of the universe, even though he never did anything wrong himself. Isaiah 53, 5 says, He was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. As Jesus hung on the cross on Good Friday, about 30 years after he laid in a wooden major, the debt of sin was paid. Some of Jesus' last words before he died were, it is finished. The phrase in Greek means paid in full, finished, to telestai. In other words, we're good. It's paid. It's dealt with. Romans 5, 1 1 through 2 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into the grace in which we stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Again, friends, do you really believe that you're completely forgiven of every sin you've ever committed? Do you believe that you stand in grace, Romans 5 says? That's your address in the kingdoms, like one, two, three, grace place. That's you. That's how God relates to you. Do you still struggle with guilt and shame? Again, if we wrestle with guilt and shame in our relationship with God, it doesn't just impact our relationship with God, it impacts our relationship with others. And it impacts how we view our circumstances because we don't think God's for us in those tough circumstances. How do you respond when you, when you sin or you fail? There tend to be three ways we respond after we have sinned and they reveal what we believe about our peace with God. Uh, there are those who tend to believe they're, they're guilty and they want to get to work, right? I'm going to start doing good stuff. I'm going to give some money away. I'm going to volunteer at church. I'm going to volunteer uh, at the rescue mission. I'm going to um, pass food out. I'm going to um, text people nice stuff. I'm going to, um, right? Like I'm going I'm to put good out in the world. I'm not going to flex on social media. I'm going to say kind things. Like I'm just going to, little old ladies across the street, the whole th- or whatever. No misogyny. Help little old men across the street too. No ageism. Help people across the street. You know what I'm saying? But, but, but I want to do good stuff to deal with this sense of guilt. I know people that have gone into whole professions and vocational paths trying to deal with this, the shame and guilt of their past. So that might be you. And then there are those who tend to feel shame and they're prone to numb themselves to avoid feeling the guilt and shame. So they're not going to work it off. They're like, that ship has sailed. I'm bad. But what I can do is I can distract myself. I can be a workaholic. I can eat another meal, go on another trip, do another workout, have another binge with a substance. could be drinking, gambling, porn, uh, relational unhealth, whatever it is. Like I look to something to distract myself to feel good. I got to release some dopamine. I need to hide and I'll find something to do that thing. And I'll distract myself until the feelings of guilt go away. But the third way we can respond to sin reveals what we really believe about our peace with God. It's those who, when they fail, they run to God, not away from God. They don't try to like 
fix themselves up before they see him. And they don't pretend nothing is wrong through distraction. They go to him and say, dad, I messed up. Father, I failed. Like the son in Luke 15, they run home and realize he's waiting and ready to embrace them and ready to give them a fresh start. If we know we have peace with God and that he defines me, it brings peace into the rest of your world. If I have peace with him and he's now my father and he now delights in me and he now is for me, that means when circumstances hit, though they are challenging and scary and hard, I know I'm not facing them by myself. I know they're not final. And I know there's a way out and a way forward. I know they don't last forever. When it comes to my relationships with other people, I'm free to love them. And because God delights in me and adores me, I don't need to get, the, I don't need to get their approval. I don't need to get them to, to, to admire me or respect me. Does that make sense? Like I'm free to, to, to work out the relational stuff that, that's going on. And so a peace with God does permeate into the rest of our lives. And the second thing, uh, the other thing perfect peace involves is the peace of not needing to be God. The peace of not needing to be God. So much of our lack of peace comes from the need to be God. This is kind of the heart of the fall. Adam and Eve, um, God goes, hey, there's some stuff I know as God that you don't know. And they're like, we want that. He's like, you don't really want that. We want that. And he lets them have it. And we didn't want that, right? And, and what happens, and, and by wanting that, what we're saying is, is we want to be our own God. We want to be in charge. We want to, 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 to do things our way. We want to be in control. And we haven't really slowed down on that. If you look at a lot of the spaces in your life where you do not have peace, there's likely some stuff there where you're trying to take the place of God. Um, I've got a little, uh, got a little, um, it's a, it's a wild Venn diagram, dude. We're talking three, uh, three-way Venn diagram. Um, and this is a book that I love. Uh, this is from a book I love called The Abiding Life. And, and one of the premises of the book is that um, we look for happiness or peace in one of several areas. And he goes, we get into a lot of trouble um, when, we, when we lean into these things. So he calls these um, pathway, false pathways to peace. Uh, and so if you look, you've got power control. You've got esteem, affection. You've got security, survival. And on the outside, he has what we think we need to control to experience this, right? So security, survival. Um, is it bad to want to survive? No, God's made us to, to stay alive. Um, but when you feel like you have to control situations or circumstances, right, you get in trouble quick. Think about people. If you, do you know anyone that's like real in his conspiracy theories? You know anyone like that? Does their world get big or does it get small? Do they get less stressed out or more stressed out, right? It's like, with all this insider info, bro, you should be really relaxed. You know exactly what's in those vaccines, man. You're going to be fine, right? You know exactly what the president's up to, um, right? Well, I don't even know that info. I should be stressed out. You've got it. No, right? Because those are all attempts to make sense of something you're afraid of, and so you want to control it. And there's progressive and conservative conspiracy theories. Please, we don't need to do that right now, okay? My, my point is, is the more you try to control the world around you, right, you're up at night worried, like, what are we going to do if there's a war? Like, you're not going to make or break it, okay? You're not. It, it's, 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 right. Does that make sense? Um, if, remember when that hurricane almost hit San Diego? It did, but it didn't. You know what I mean? You're like, this was less rain than two months ago, right? All that stuff. Now, there's a difference between, um, now again, you could prepare and all that stuff, but at the end of the day, you realize, man, there's a lot we don't control. I have a lot, uh, 
so many, so many of us, we've experienced this. Uh, if you, if you've experienced um, childbirth or been close to someone who's experiencing childbirth, there's so much that feels like it's up in the air, even though we've made a ton of strides with technology and stuff like that. At the end of the day, there are things that we just can't control, and when we try to control them, we stress ourselves out, right? Uh, on top of that, there's power and control. This is when you feel the need to control the actions of others, Anyone, right? Anyone ever try to control a two-year-old? How'd it go, right? Anyone try to control an in-law at Thanksgiving? Anybody? No, not me, not me, not me, right? Anyway, that could be sister-in-law, brother-in-law, whatever. Like, right? Like, try, try and control the people in your own family. It, it's wild. Uh, one of the, one of the um, hardest times of my life uh, as a pastor was when I realized, like, I'm taking responsibility for what other people need to be taking responsibility for, and it's killing me. Like, I can't want their marriage to work more than they want their marriage to work. I can't want their relationship with God to work more than they want it to work. And it wore me out. And I know I'm not alone in that, not just because I'm a pastor. A lot of us, we, 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 do, we do this. And again, sometimes we just got to trust God. This is the hardest with people we love, by the way. I'm not thinking you're like a maniac who wants to control people. It's like you want what's best for people. And when you see them making, honestly, sometimes dumb decisions, it's really hard. It's really confusing. Um, but, you, but you have to entrust them. You, you can share some stuff, but then you move on. And, and then down here, there's esteem and affection. And this is, uh, again, it's kind of the classic, you know, trying to control the thoughts and feelings of others. Which, again, you want people to like you. You want people to respect you, right? Um, which you can't really control. You can kind of impress them, maybe. People have different, right? You, like you spend, spend a bunch of money on like a sick fit, and then you're like, the person I want to impress, different fashion sense than me. Dang it, right? Want to impress someone with this fact they don't even know about. Whatever, like, like, like I mean, honestly, and again, we get stressed out. It could be our boss. could be a guy or girl we're trying to impress. could be our spouse. could be our, I mean, there's times with Jackie I still try to be cool. She's like, you're not that cool. I know what you're doing. What are we doing? You're doing this like, I don't care. You're mad. Let's talk about it. You know, let's do the conflict. Um, and, and, and like, like there's just so much there, but th this can be crippling for us. Like we can ruminate and obsess about what someone else thinks about us, what they meant by that thing, what they meant by what they said or didn't say, all that stuff. And I just want you to catch this isn't peace. But what I also want you to catch is there's a freedom in releasing these things. Like you really can. Like peace isn't found in controlling circumstances. Because you can't. Peace isn't going, I don't have to. Because I have a father in heaven who will take care of me. Peace isn't trying to control others. By the way, it doesn't mean you don't care about people. Like you can share, hey, here's some advice if you want it. Can I share what I see? But if they don't want it, they don't want it. And you got to, all right, you know, weird parenting strategy from my perspective. I can, you know, you don't want it. I'm going to let you roll. Does, it, does that make sense? Like you, you got to live with that, whatever it is. Um, and then down here, same thing. It's not, by the way, it's not bad to want to be liked, right? Like it's not bad. You shouldn't want people to not like you. Have like a, a YouTube personality or whatever. Uh, it's a good way to get clicks up, you know, say crazy stuff. Um, it's not bad to, to, to want to be liked. It's, it's when you have to be and you feel the need to control it. So it's like, as I follow Jesus, if people dig me, that's awesome. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like I'm being faithful to what God's called me to do. Um, and, and I'm loving people. Like if, like if people think that's cool, that's great. There's other times I already know. We live in a society that's quite opposed to quite a few things that I believe is a Christian pastor. I also have to live with that. Does that make sense? Like I have to live with the good and the bad of that. And my job is to obey Jesus and follow him. My, my, my job is not to get people to like me. Does that make sense? My job is to do a good job at work. Your job isn't to get your boss to, to think you're incredible. It's just do the best job you can within reason. And then you trust God 
with the circumstances of the world. You trust God with the actions of others. You trust God with the thoughts and feelings of others. Does that make sense? Last thing I'll say about this one, by the way, with the actions of others, this doesn't mean you don't um, give people advice or whatever, but also doesn't mean that if people aren't changing their actions and they're unsafe, it doesn't mean you like roll with it. It's not like an anti-boundaries thing. It's just I'm out of the game of trying to fix it. Does that make sense? I take responsibility for me and my thoughts and my walk with the Lord. But, but I just want you to see, like, if you walk into the Christmas season in 2023 thinking you need to control the circumstances of the world, thinking you need to control the actions of others, or trying to get people to like you, right, just buying a gift for someone, it's going to be paralyzing down here. I want them to like it because I want them to like me. I want to make sure it's enough money because they spent some money on me. I want them to think I have good taste. Oh, see what I'm saying? But if you go, man, I just want to love this person. I, I'm doing my best to get to know them. I might text a friend and go, hey, what do they like? Uh, and I buy it, right? And, and I hope they enjoy it. Or I, whatever it is. Uh, you guys are, ca- I'm going too long on this. All right. Anyways, there is a peace, though, in not needing to be God. Like there really is. And so what I want to ask you this morning is, have you forgotten the gospel of peace? A peace that reconciles you to God, and then a peace says that because I'm reconciled to him, he is going to take care of me, and I don't need to be him. In 2 Timothy, Paul says something similar. He, he writes to an emerging church planner who he's mentoring as a son in the faith named Timothy. And in 2 Timothy 2, Paul says something really curious. He says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Now, remember Jesus Christ seems like an odd thing to say to a young man who's already clearly a leader, right? A young man who's laying a gospel foundation himself in a church plant, a young man tasked with the the job of appointing elders in some of the churches. Why would he say this, right? I mean, certainly Timothy knows who Jesus Christ is if he's appointing leaders. And what I want you to catch is I don't think he's saying um, hey, remember that guy, Jesus? He's like, Jesus, oh yeah, cross guy. King of the universe, yeah, Lord, Lord, right? Lord, doulos, right? I speak Greek, I'm Timothy, right? Uh, no. I think it's because Timothy's facing severe stress, you know, the kind of thing you feel every once in a while, maybe around the holidays. And the stress can cause you to shift your eyes from the gospel. Tim Keller commenting on this passage writes, knowing how quickly our own thoughts can turn inward away from the gospel when we are suffering, Paul exhorts Timothy to remember Jesus Christ. So if a disciple of the apostle Paul needed to be reminded of the gospel, how much more do we as run-of-the-mill 21st century disciples need to be reminded of it? He's not saying you forgot the facts of the gospel. He's saying you forgot what the gospel means for you. You forgot the implications of how it changes everything. You're still thinking and living like it didn't happen, Timothy. Don't forget. Don't revert back to the toxic ways of your family of origin or your culture or your your own, your own sinful tendencies or whatever it is. Like Jesus changed everything. Align your thoughts with that. Forget this idea that you have to control everything. He's asking, have you forgotten the source of your true peace? Have you forgotten what is really true? As we close today, I want to exhort you to remember Jesus this Christmas and, and, to, and to ask the Spirit to give you faith to believe that what he did not only happened, but that it changes things. To remind you that, that God's not mad at you and God's going to take care of you. You don't need to be God and you have peace with God. I want you to just ask the Holy Spirit to bring to mind the things or beliefs that might be getting in the way of your peace right now.
what's getting in the way of your peace right now, just ask him to bring it to mind. Whether, the, whether it be circumstances, relational difficulty, your own sin or decisions. And as things come to mind that are getting in the way of your peace, I almost want you to imagine um, just placing them like on a table. Just like you're, you're taking whatever it is and there's, there's an item that represents that thing, but I want you to just place it on the table. Just set them aside. Just keep asking him, what, what is it that's keeping me from experiencing peace right now? And then in your own way, I'd encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit for peace. Ask him um, for an experience of his peace. And that may come in the form of wisdom and direction. He, he may give you things to do in light of these circumstances. Um, there may be action or there may be a peace to trust him. It could be a peace to act because I don't need to control what this other person thinks of me. I need to go talk to this person. Or maybe a peace to trust because <laughs> I have this father in heaven. I don't need to fix everything myself with this, certain, with this financial situation or this whatever it is. And so just ask the spirit for, for peace and for what you need to experience peace. Let's give you a few moments. And Holy Spirit, I do. I just pray in this moment that you'd help us to set our minds on you, remembering that you're with us like you really are. We do not face circumstances by ourselves, but we face them with our dad, our dad who's the king. We don't face our, our sin or our past or our shame by ourselves, we face them with Jesus, our brother, our savior, the one who cleanses us and washes us and forgives us. We don't face our relational difficulties alone, but we face them with you, Father, a father who cares about our relationship with our siblings because you're a good father. You don't have favorites. And you want to see us reconciled more than we want to be reconciled. So I just pray that you would help us. You'd give us peace. The peace of your presence. The peace of your perspective. And the peace of your process. Where you're calling us to do things your way. To experience your peace. Because where we haven't been, it's, it's not working. And so Jesus, thank you for coming to offer us peace. This whole moment is, is trying to access and experience the peace that you give to us as a gift that we don't always receive because we forget that we have peace with you or forget that we're not you. But would you give us peace in the world there will be troubles that I give you a peace that the world doesn't know about. I pray we'd experience that, Jesus. This Christmas, in your name we pray, amen.